Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. The episode wasn't lost, nigga. The host was. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, we fucked up our last episode. We had to trash it. Whose fault was that? Yours or mine? Oh, those are the only two options. I don't know. I blame society. <laughs> <laughs> the society is keeping us down. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Society <laughs> and just the social structure that just really punishes white heterosexual males <laughs> and and the jews especially and the jews this, Jesus. Is, this is what i get for aligning myself yeah with- <laughs> no here's the deal with the last episode and we apologize about that it we we listened to it and it was it was shockingly boring i don't think there was a single like funny thing that we said the entire episode uh, we were talking about was, a great paper, but we couldn't make it interesting or fun to talk about. It was amazing how boring it was. It, it, if you put it next to an interesting thing, it would have sucked the interesting <laughs> right out of it. Right. <laughs> it's like that person at a party that just sucks all the energy and life and fun out of <laughs> out of the room. Like that the, was our episode. It's like the cooler. Remember? Have you seen the movie? Yeah, the cooler? yeah. The, <laughs> what, William H Macy. Uh, right? William H Macy. Yeah. yeah. And for the record, it wasn't anything about the paper that we read and that we were going to discuss it was more we kind of turned into lectures or something like for a second well so here so we just got a new itunes review that i think is relevant to this this is uh, by someone i don't know if this is their real name or if this is a play on neil patrick harris but it's nick patrick harris this (laughs) podcast more than any other thing in my life has contributed to my appreciation of film and my understanding of teenage boys more than anything (laughs) else in my life As a grad student in philosophy and cognitive science, however, I was really hoping to learn something about philosophy and the mind. Alas. Just kidding, guys. Despite my being an uber prude and being entirely uncomfortable with about 97% of the jokes on every episode, I'm addicted to your podcast. You win. Way to go. Now, thank you, Nick Patrick Harris. That's really nice. Thanks for picking me up. Excuse me, are you Neil Patrick Harris? Yep. Dude, Doogie Howser MD was like my favorite show growing up. You were my idol. Yeah, that's great. Can we get going? I'm bored as shit back here. I think the problem was that we were trying to teach people something about philosophy in the mind, and we're not good at that. We're not good at that on the podcast. You know, well, the thing is, uh, we had had, you know, some particularly light, light episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yoel Imbar took us a little bit to task about this um, uh, on our movie episode. Where like we could have been like you know Parfit said this right right but it's not like <laughs> you know I, now so I, I feel know. less bad about even less bad about that and less guilty than I did before <laughs> because we so we're weird. just not like when we try to do that there's something I don't know it it doesn't work I can <laughs> I can do it in class I think yeah maybe not the, maybe my classes are this fucking boring. <laughs> 
<laughs> no man i'll tear i'll well that's the thing is like I, i'll tear it up like in that in that draft episode that we did like i was i was like yeah and then kohlberg and kant and piaget and like and you it, were like and qualifying to it, I, everything too it was like you, you yeah, like, was like a true social scientist it, exactly <laughs> or like a philosopher which is what you are at heart right uh, even the racism of of celtics fans you were qualifying it was yeah. it was bizarre, well, I, and I was just I was off my game completely. The whole thing, I don't know. You know, it, speaking of being a philosopher, I, I don't think I actually um, at, when I answered the question, I didn't introduce myself. I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University, and but I did want to say and and uh, give give a thanks to all my new colleagues. I am spending a um, semester in. Your old stomping grounds, actually. I'm at Duke University. Oh, yeah. At a visiting, visiting professorship with UNC Chapel Hill, and I'm actually teaching a course in the philosophy department at, at UNC. So I more than ever, I feel like a philosopher. And hanging out here with Walter Sinnott Armstrong and Dan Ariely in their labs. And, uh, and soon and you're going to be kicking it with Jeff Sarah McCord and Susan Wolf and exactly uh, yeah. I feel but I'm going to be dropping some science some philosophy man because I'm like I, I already have these these words just at the tip of my tongue like you know anti-realism and and uh, you know uh, constructive like I'm I'm just ready I'm, I'm teaching I'm teaching in a philosophy department yeah <laughs> that's no you you've got it all down if you if you know anti-realism. It's all subjective anyway. That's what you'll just say. You'll just beat the the first freshman student to the punch. Uh, so actually, we had one of those, and and I'm spo- I'm sure we could do a whole episode on this. But uh, in my class, there was a girl who was like, "Nothing's wrong," and I was like, "Well, you don't really mean that, right? Like, if someone raped your mom, you'd be like, well, they shouldn't, they ought not do that.'" And she was like, "No, you know, his brain might just be different than mine. Like, who am I to judge?" And then I was like, "Well, then maybe what you're saying is that we." that there is one moral principle that we should be tolerant of other people's views. No, even that, like she was really sticking to her guns. I was like, well, I mean, that's right. the thing. That's the key step right there. So you're <laughs> saying that we should be, cause that's the thing that everyone thinks right. moral relativists trip up on is that right. they say we should be tolerant. No, fuck right. that. You don't have to be tolerant. I don't have to be tolerant of other people's views, <laughs> exactly. even though it's all relative. And <laughs> exactly. as, if the relativist says that they stay consistent and, uh, uh, I'm not saying this is, uh, you know, but right. she was smart enough to know that she had to stay consistent in that moment. <laughs> yeah. But I uh, hopefully not consistent enough that she wouldn't find it objectionable if somebody <laughs> raped her mom. Right. Well, I, 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 she's like, well, I don't like it, but I don't think it's wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> so I'm in a bad mood cause I fucked up my ankle and I'm going to swear a lot and I've been drinking. All- I- I'm like Jimmy Stewart in rear window right now. I'm grumpy <laughs> because I fucked up my ankle playing racquetball and it's bad. You know, like I fucked up my Achilles. Hopefully it's just a high ankle sprain. But, you know, if you've been playing fantasy football for the last 21 years, which I have, uh, you know that if you have a high ankle sprain, that the guy is out for six to eight weeks, you might as well drop him. And, you know, that's like a professional football player that has real powers of recuperation. (laughs) So you're out for like 20 years. So, yeah, like I'm probably out for life, essentially. (laughs) Uh, And that's just that's best case scenario for my ankle right now. So I was honestly my first reaction was one of excitement that you might have Vicodin to share with me the next time I see you. Stop it. 
Uh, that's the that's the worst part of this whole thing. So I go to the ER. I go to the ER, and you know the guy diagnoses me. Said, like, eh, so then you eh. said, "Back it in." <laughs> and then now here's where I, here was my here was my problem. And this is again the more you learn on this podcast, um, this is something I think that we can teach. Not philosophy, not psychology, not the mind, not all of that. But when you go to a doctor and they ask you about the pain, don't be totally honest about it, the, the the degree of pain and the type of pain. And that's what I was. I mean, I'm, I i don't know. I must have been just... Uh, what did you tell him? I mean, that, he just had, it's more of like a dull pain than... And right there, it was like I was, I was dooming myself to high-strength Advil. Uh, right when I said that, and I knew it. And I was like, I wanted to take the words back, but I couldn't. That's not even a thing. What? I, it's not. I, I didn't get it. Sugar like, I didn't get it. Just... Like my prescription was to take three ad, like for a pill that was the equivalent of three Advil. Like why? Why would I? Why would I like go to the pharmacy and get that? Right. right. Such bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, the best thing is to to unwittingly tell them how much pain you're in. Um, I broke my ankle once, but it was a very very small break, and I didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't fall asleep, and I was like. You know, I just can't sleep. I guess the, it keeps waking me up because it's hurting and it, the swelling hasn't gone down. And he's like, you know, this, you know, it's broken. I'm gonna prescribe you um, narcotics, okay? But you have to be very careful with these. And I was like, meanwhile, it's oh, going. What are ding, those? ding 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 ding. <laughs> so for like a the three cherries like, popping up on the slot machine. <laughs> For like a, he gave me a ton, and for like a semester at UC Irvine, I would like, fall, I would take pop a couple of Vicodin and drink a glass of wine and play Halo, yeah. like at night with my friends. It was like bliss. It was so worth whatever permanent damage it caused. Yeah, well, that's what I want for future <laughs> doctor out in Houston. Be that guy. And, and, and I'm going to Japan, and I have to be on a plane for like 21 hours with this. No, thing. that's horrible, dude. I've I've been on a plane with like severely sprained ankles, and and there's something about the way that that it if you have any swelling at all, yeah, like fuck, uh, I do. I have tons. Of my I, I look like like I have elephantitis in my leg right now. <laughs> Too bad you didn't sprain your dick. <laughs> you know what else? Here's the worst part of this. Like I'm on crutches for the first time in my life, and I'm not good at them. And there, nobody has sympathy for this injury, and rightly so. It's not the worst thing in the world that can happen to somebody. But my wife was my. She was sick of it after ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Because men turn like, into babies. Yeah. What? Men, men, men turn into babies. When yeah. We're, we're no, and I and I more than most probably. All right, let's. Uh, so, so our topic today, as it was last week, is it's a subset of the question: What is morality? Right? Like, what is morality? And and is there a list of things that are moral things, or is it like does it all boil down to one single fundamental thing? Right. Before we get to that, we're going to do something related. I don't know what people think our politics are. Time Magazine has a quiz of twelve questions that will then predict your politics, how conservative or liberal you are. So we are going to take this quiz in real time. So how are we going to negotiate these answers? Are we going to both answer and and then average it, or are we going to consensus build? Well, let's just see how it goes. We might just agree. We might just agree down the line. I doubt it, but we might, right? The first one, we better agree. 
I prefer cats to dogs. Strongly agree. Ta- strongly disagree, right? Strongly disagree. Yeah. I, I actually like cats, but I, I like dogs more than I like pretty much anything else. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay with other people's cats, but... You never had a cat? I had a cat that I loved. All right. I prefer watching documentaries to action-adventure movies. <laughs> so this is, a, this is interesting. Here's the thing. I prefer watching documentaries to action-adventure movies. It could mean that when I watch a documentary, I say that was good more often than I say that was good for an action-adventure film. Or it could simply mean, let's take a look at your history of movie watching. How many action-adventure movies have you watched versus how many documentaries have you watched? I got to say, I... If you give me a list of movies to watch on any given night, I would probably pick an action-adventure movie before picking a documentary. All right. But here's why I think we should say slightly agree, slightly or moderately agree. When I just get myself, for whatever reason, to watch a documentary, I love it. And I'm totally gripped. And I always, after the, the documentary is over, I always say, I have to just watch pretty much nothing else but documentaries from now on. So is porn an action-adventure movie or a documentary? Because on the one hand, it's really, it is really happening, right? It's like capturing reality. <laughs> it's not simulated sex. That, because that might tip the scale. <laughs> that tips the scale to there needs to be something like i've never agreed with anything more in my life right right maybe amateur porn is like documentary and then like slick produced porn right like wicked yeah, vivid uh okay let's take porn out of the all right uh, so i i still say either slightly or moderately agree if if, if we want to be honest maybe right. we should say slightly agree what do you slightly think? agree all right. right i watched a brilliant one called how to make money selling drugs last night and uh and i really enjoyed it i'm ready to go i'm actually ready to hit the corners well i can answer that question right now how to make money selling drugs (laughs) offer me vicodin you will make (laughs) money supply and demand (laughs) uh Uh, respect for authority question three is something all children need to learn moderately agree i agree that's perfect yep I keep my desk and other workspaces very neat and organized. Here's where we might have to average. This is a tough one because here's how I keep my desk space neat and organized. I grab all of the things that are cluttering it and I stuff it in a drawer that I can't see because I hate clutter. Right? I really like the clean, minimalist look. But if you were to open my storage or drawers, you would see that like I never bothered to organize things. So this is where we're just different because the way in which I keep my desk and other workspaces very neat and organized is not at all. So I think we should just slightly disagree since you... Uh, I agree. ...to average our things out. All right. Yeah, I, agree. I believe that self-expression is more important than self-control. This one... <laughs> I don't like this question. I don't like this question either because I believe that self-control is hugely important. Yeah. I, in, fact, in fact, if I'm being honest, self-control is way more important than self-expression because express, self-expression, you think like, oh, there's this wonderful like, artist, but none of that matters if you can't control your most basic of impulses. So not to disparage self-expression, it's just that I view self-control as a, as a sort of pre, prereq. Self-expression. Now, this could be just us and the way we were brought up, but self-expression seems to kind of come naturally. Self-control is the thing that you really need to cultivate. I I express myself fine. It's, It's the control part that I have trouble with. 
Right. So, um, uh, so should we say uh, moderately disagree? Moderate, uh, moderately disagree, yes. All right. I heard that a new restaurant in my neighborhood blended the cuisines of two very different cultures. That would make me want to try it. I say here just strongly agree, you know, assuming that it seemed like a good idea to blend those cultures. See, I actually couldn't care less. Hmm. Like, I really couldn't care less. I, I would be like, oh, that's interesting, but I'm not a foodie at all. Like, you could give me white rice and soy sauce every day, and I'd probably be like, sweet. So take whatever you answer and subtract two. All right. Well, then that goes to slightly agree. My government should, this is question seven, should treat lives of its citizens as being more valuable than lives in other countries. There are two ways that I read this. One is with moral outrage that like, that who, the lives of Americans aren't worth more than the lives of Africans. Like obviously wrong. Like I have this outrage, but on the other hand, when I think about it, like, what the hell is the point of a government if not to selectively, <laughs> selectively protect yeah. its own people? See, I That's think the whole I, point I, of a government. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is as ambiguous as you think, like, uh, because it says my government should treat the lives of its citizens as being much more valuable than lives in other countries. It doesn't say that the lives are objectively more valuable. It's it no, asks but- what the go- how the government should treat its own citizens but see here's here's the ambiguity so does that mean that they can our government treats us well and other people like shit or does it mean that it treats other people well and us exceedingly well right so i think that there is some constraint like we shouldn't no matter what we shouldn't just wantonly kill innocent right people but in but there would, but but you agree that there should be a difference all it says is whatever your baseline is there should There's be a something di- about much more valuable that makes me yeah but okay. I agree. all right I mean, should we, we do agree? moderately agree then i, I would have gone with slightly but all right but. i'd go with slightly i also i don't know we shouldn't read into these questions but i feel like I this is this is like a trick question almost. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is going to put us into the right, like right. the... What you'd be... We're going to be like just to the right of Ann Coulter if we right, say yeah. like moderately agree. All right. I'll, I'll do slightly agree. Although if I'm being honest, I probably moderately agree. But if I were married or in a serious dating relationship, I would think it's perfectly okay for my partner to look at erotic or pornographic pictures or videos by himself, herself. Oh, this isn't in our wheelhouse or anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not in mine because I'm not married or in a serious dating relationship. This year. But I was. I have. I, I know that this would have bothered me at some point in my young life. And now I just... Here, here's how I think. <laughs> if I walked in on my partner watching porn, All right. I would just give her a slow clap and be like, oh my God, you are awesome. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about this. And, you know, I've been married for 14 years. And that's like one eighth of your entire life. Here's the thing. Yeah, that's one eighth of my entire life. One eighth. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I didn't even react to that. This is how fucked up I am. Not on Vicodin uh, with my messed up ankle. All right. I like the idea of in the abstract me coming home. And I'm in a relationship <laughs> and my wife is uh, watching porn or or my girlfriend. I like the idea in the abstract, but knowing my actual wife, if that was happening, that would 
could mean that things are not okay at home. <laughs> Mitch! <clears throat> what are you doing home? You totally scared me. I scared you? Because for a second there, I thought that, uh... Wow. That's like, uh... Pretty hardcore. Yeah, I know. No, no, I'm, I'm not judging. D don't be embarrassed. This is a major turn-on. Let's go with this. Okay, Mitch. We need to talk. Hello? Be honest. Please tell me this is the first time this has happened. Well, do you want me to be honest? Or do you want me to tell you that this is the first time? Jesus. This is a totally different kind of satisfaction for me. Oh. It's purely sexual. Ooh. Hello. Yeah? I'm here for the gangbang. <laughs> and I feel like I'm being sexist here because... I also well, think it's very different if she, if I walked in on her versus her walking in on me. Right. There's one sentence in which you probably are sexist. Um, but, probably but more than one sense sense. In which, <laughs> yeah. But there's another sense in which in which it might mean very different things for you and for Jen or for whatever. So that's not unfair. That, like that, that's exactly my thought, right? Uh, it's your it's your relationship, right? Like, it could very well go the other way. Like, In the same way know. that it would mean different things if she cheated on me and... Uh, or, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 that, does, that does doesn't work not. for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, Jen and I can never tell you about us. <laughs> to balance all this out, especially since you're, so I'm gonna be strongly I've never seen you more enthusiastic about. Something. Yeah, so just just subtract your answer from my strongly agree. Slightly disagree. The internet browser I most often use is on one side is Chrome, in the middle is Internet Explorer. Then there's so this is not a real scale. So it's it's Chrome, Firefox, oh, this isn't a scale, Safari, right, right. and then and other, and other don't know. So I take it I, that it, that the conservatives will be all over um, Google Chrome. No, Internet Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the default browser in Windows XP at the company they work. All with. right. So here, this is a tough one for both of us to do because. Uh, you use Safari because you're a fucking no, I use Chrome. fuckhead. Oh, you use Chrome? No. Oh, I use yeah. Chrome. Oh, that right. works perfectly. Yeah. I wish the world did not have nations or border and we were all part of one big group. I strongly disagree with this. Like, that would mean yeah, I'm, I'm in the same group as Yankees fans and Broncos fans yeah, and Ravens fans. I, fans. Yeah, I know I know the liberal sentiment that it's attempting to to uh, express but like i think that that's the wrong wrong headed view I, and so i also strongly disagree I, I love the differences i love traveling and seeing the differences i hate that nowadays i travel and everybody knows english yeah like i don't need you know it's just that's one of the reasons i'm so excited to go to japan and i've never yeah. been to to anywhere Wait, what are you go what are you going for again they're doing a uh, one-day workshop on my book, Relative Justice. This is why. Wow. Yeah, you got to wow. do this cross-cultural stuff. Like I finally paid off. Yeah. I'm going to write a book about cocaine and porn stars. <laughs> um, okay, if I were to visit New York City, I would rather go to Times Square than the Metropolitan Museum of Art. 
strongly disagree. Strongly disagree. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you go to like? What are you gonna do I, in Times Square? I mean, you gotta like, go, go to the once, Disney shop yeah. or whatever. It's like, like asking people if they would rather sit in traffic. Like, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not the Times Square of pre-Giuliani days. Then I would have gone to Times Square. <laughs> I'm proud of my country's history. This is the last question, and then we're gonna get our score. Yeah. Um, dude, that's just so complicated, man. I'm. This I is am, a bad question. It is a horrible. I mean, in many ways, I am. I feel like it's just testing pre pre like knee jerk sort of knee jerk conservatives. Like, I I will say. I'll say the one thing that makes me on the negative scale, which is our history of slavery yeah. is so distasteful that I am uh, all of the pride that I have. What about just the, you know, like how we treated Native America? There's a lot not to be proud of, but I mean, yeah, and I that's think true bad, of any country. I think the bad outweighs the good, which is not to say that I'm not deeply proud of being American and all those things. I mean, I think you have to compare. This is the thing about this. And again, like this is such a this feels like a loaded question, but you have to compare your country's history. You can't just do it in isolation. Right. You have to think that my country compared to just take another country who you might think you would be proud of. So if we're going to say we're not proud of our country's history, would there be a country that we were from that we would be proud of their history? Because if not, the, then I don't... I think this is the best of all possible countries. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but I don't think that you have to do that because imagine imagine that every single country had committed two genocides and we had only committed one. I, I would still not be proud. I mean... That's I, a good point. Like, I don't... Yeah. So what so are we going to say? I will say... I will say moderately disagree just so that it so that my str- my strong disdain of like of slavery and and what other forms of genocide will be tempered by like I, I want to I want to put it down to slightly disagree although okay. I don't even feel good about that because but I guess I would do slightly agree right. for compared to I know you're you're a huge Germany fan but compared to Germany, compared to like the shit that's gone on in France, yeah, I, I really am not. I really did not compare when I thought about the answer. So, so the and I am proud. I mean, like children of immigrants, like I am. Like, yeah, like, there's the whole point is to be proud. There's just this finding: bad is stronger than good. And so, for all the opportunity that this country provides, like I think that it weighs a little bit more heavily to like have. Well, if you want to say slightly dis, slightly agree, and I would want to probably say moderately disagree. You would so. really want to say moderately disagree. It's just simply that, like, if we're making a list of things that that uh, our country should be ashamed of and a list of things that our country should be proud of, I just think that the bad dominates a bit, like, in the sense that, that you know, we we have baseball and apple pie, but we also have 400 years of no, treating see, black people yeah, like okay. shit. The idea that baseball and apple pie is all that America has produced, especially for your family, that, that really does. I mean, the opportunities that this country gives but look fine. let's we'll have neutral slightly let's disagree have, we let's did have it. neutral done. it's done so here are the results are, yeah. because of that la- god i can only imagine if we had said slightly agree to the last question yeah we are yeah. only 63 percent liberal I, I like that 37 percent conservative all right i think that's that's probably right I think they detected a little anti-Semitism in your input <laughs> as well. <laughs> they detected sexism on yours. Uh, uh, 
All right. So then the conser- there. Conser- yeah. So they give you a list of the liberal and the conservative qualities. Conservative qualities are liking dogs more than cats. Kids should respect authority. Self-control trumps self-expression. Government should treat the lives of citizens much more valuable than other countries. And you think the world benefits from nations and borders. And then the liberal qualities were all the other ones. Messy desk, fusion cuisine, modern browser, met to the to Times Square. You're not completely history. proud of your country's history. That's right. You prefer documentaries, documentaries over action movies. In any case, that's what we are. That's what this podcast officially is. 63% liberal, 37% conservative. I'm glad we're not skewed so strongly in one direction. Yeah. That means we're rational. All right. I'm not going to be ashamed of that like you are deeply of our country. <laughs> <laughs> the country right, that made a, you, that gave you the opportunity to go to the a university. That's right. You know, you know, you know the problem. I actually have black friends, so it, so I realize that you don't see the suffering that probably their ancestors. Yeah, but I felt. know people with black friends. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a break and come back and talk about. Uh, we'll talk about whether there's a right answer to all these questions. <laughs> but it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. And we just went through on our previous segment 12 questions that were supposed to tell us how conservative or liberal we are. And it turns out we are exactly, what was it, 60, 63, 37 versus 37. Yeah, something like that. Now we're going to ask the question of whether there are right answers to all the 12 questions that we asked. Now I know now I know there's a right answer to one, the the <laughs> dogs cats question. <laughs> well, so yeah, so we should say this this quiz is actually born out of the research that's been done in large part by John Hyatt and his colleagues and some other people that is pointing to 
some of the differences that you can see in basic personalities, ba- basic preferences um, that that are related to um, political orientation. But some of these are actually differences in moral code. So that question that we asked about, um, that we were asked about authority, right? How important is authority to you? Turns out that conservatives tend to say that it's more um, that it's more important than liberals. And so, you know, so you start with this can you be like, observation. Can you picture the person who says self-expression is like strongly <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. favor self-expression over right. self-control? She, I can picture her. She burns a lot of yeah. patchouli, patchouli incense and, uh, <laughs> and kind of thinks that her hair is dreadlocking, but it's really just dirty. Um, <laughs> so, so one of the points that Haidt and Jesse Graham, who actually motivated this, this topic by sending us this, this most recent paper about moral foundations theory, a lot of this work has, has, been, has been trying to address what, what researchers have seen as a fundamental flaw in the way moral psychologists have studied morality. And so in this paper and in in moral foundations theory in general, they point to the fact that it's odd that moral psychologists like Kohlberg, um, Piaget before him, uh, they just define morality as this one singular thing, right? And And a lot of people still do this. Like morality is all fundamentally about care or harm or justice right for Colbert it's about justice or for Gilligan about care and justice maybe when in reality maybe the better thing to do is if we're going to be psychologists to, to actually take a look at the data like what what is it that people actually say is important for morality and turns out when you bother to ask people what's important for morality you get a lot more than just answers about harm and care and justice you get you get answers about authority you get answers about purity all all of these features that liberal western educated people think of as not central to morality so let's distinguish two questions right off the bat one the descriptive question the empirical question mm-hmm. how many moralities are there just empirically how much moral disagreement is there now and and of that moral disagreement or of all of the things that people say are say moral rights and wrongs what is the underlying sort of general structure right what are the categories right so in in many ways like you could take an analogy to the emotions how many emotions are there everybody agrees that there are emotions but how many are there right so how do you go about doing this it seems like there's an easy answer because there's plenty of moral disagreement. And so you might say, you know, somebody like Kohlberg who thought morality was just one single thing is just out of his mind or he never left his house. <laughs> right. Well, no, but was, but, but, know, but in his defense, he was making a he was taking a, he was staking a philosophical as Piaget was before him. He was Kantian. He said, OK, Kant was generally right about morality and Rawls was generally right about morality. That's what I think morality is. And so that's what I'm going to study, right? So he's saying, you know, there's all these other things, but that's just not what I mean by morality. What I mean by morality is reasoning your way to universal principles of justice and fairness. There's that question, the philosopher question, what do we mean by morality, which naturally you're interested in most of all. And then there's the question of how much of how much disagreement can be explained away by disagreement over non-moral matters, just what everybody agrees are non-moral matters, empirical facts, just 
plain empirical facts, right? right. So, right. Uh, you know, if if all the disagreement could be traced to differences in religious belief or differences in uh, just empirical beliefs about how the, the psychology works or how the universe works, you know, the monist, a monist like Kohlberg might be on 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 more plausible ground right. and saying in answering the descriptive question that there is only one morality because because the disagreement the moral disagreement that does exist isn't when you really examine it moral disagreement it's empirical disagreement so like abortion like what if all disagreement about abortion if it all boiled down to disagreement about whether the fetus feels Had, pain feels pain right right, yeah. right so that would answer the question i'll give you another example in my in the seminar that I that I'm teaching now, uh, I was asking students uh, if they had a, a moral position that had changed. Right. So one yeah. of the students said, "Yeah, well, I used to believe that mar- smoking marijuana was wrong, and now I no longer believe that." And the reason she said she no longer believed that was because she was stoned. Right. Right then she tried it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but the reason that she she gave was that um, she saw a documentary uh, or it was CNN report by Sanjay Gupta showing that mar- that marijuana isn't nearly as harmful as everybody thinks it is. So in her case, the moral belief turned on the belief that uh, that smoking marijuana was extraordinarily harmful. And now that she knows or believes that it's not harmful anymore, it ceases to be immoral. And there, that that diversity is explained away by, as you say, just appeal to empirical disagreement about about uh, harm. Right now, the, even this is a little tricky. Take same sex marriage. In spite of our conservative bona fides, it's a great <laughs> thing. Do you know the Houston mayor is now married to another woman? She's a woman. She's now married to another woman. I don't want to hear shit f- about Houston. Like, I I get two years off from hearing shit about, we have the only same-sex married mayor in the entire country. That's like saying Mexicans aren't poor because you know one rich Mexican. No, no, no. (laughs) It's, it's, It's someone that we elected as a city. Three did times. You elect, did you she's elect third her before? Term. She, she's in her third term. Yeah, we knew it from the start. Okay, that counts. Good. For I you. mean, but she wasn't. She just got married, but we knew that she was in a serious twenty-four-year relationship. <laughs> so I guess the conservatives aren't voting. <laughs> See. <laughs> All, right. All right, but anyway, right, here, here's my point. Sometimes when your deep moral attitudes change. Different empirical facts start to matter, whereas they didn't before. So now people who just are just a lot more comfortable, like like your student that just smoked pot and is now saying, oh, I read this article where yeah. it doesn't cause it. Did she ever really think that it caused that much harm? Or, you know, yeah. or, or I think was that it she actually a, did, but yeah. Was but it? I, I'm not. Look, look, your student. I know you're in love with her. I'm not. I'm not. I don't fall in love with my students like you. Wait. Not all. Wait, hold. Wait, hold on. And I, <laughs> let, me, let me qualify that. Uh, um, I think sometimes when your attitudes change, different empirical facts start to matter more than they used to. Right. Right. So it uh, might be it might be post hoc rationalization, or it might even be sincerely reading other facts that you wouldn't have exposed yourself to. Right. So. So, you know, there's this classic literature in, in social psychology on selective avoidance. Obviously, a smoker doesn't want to read all of the facts about how smoking is bad. So they, they, t- they tend to avoid it, right? And they defend themselves against it. So even what you pay attention to changes if your moral belief is different, 
So if you believe in the death penalty uh, or you believe the death penalty is wrong, you won't, you will be insensitive to certain kinds of facts or you will just not expose yourself to certain kinds of facts. So that does change as a result of, so the causal, what you're saying is the causal direction is unclear. It's unclear, but we should make it clear that for this to be an interesting question at all, it's not a question about whether moral disagreement exists at all. The question, I think, if the interesting, and tell me if you agree with this, is whether there is disagreement that doesn't ultimately boil down to disagreement about non-moral facts. For the descriptive for the descriptive, for the descriptive question, question. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Now, if the normative question is whether there's one true morality, right? Right. Even if nobody in the world believed in this one true morality, say it was utilitarianism, that could be the right morality. And this is right. not what this paper is discussing. You know, right. Although, you, you know, you, the, the, the boundaries are slippery, but yeah. So very straightforwardly, Jesse Graham, John Haidt, Ravi Ayers, Seneca, I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but the, all all the, the 10 authors, um, they very straightforwardly say, we're not making normative claims here. We're talking about just the descriptive facts. The weaselly like paragraph <laughs> that's in every psychology paper. Or at least in every psychology paper about ethics, right? Yeah, this, exactly. uh, yeah. And, and there is a has to be it has to be obvious to them that like there are serious normative implications to this. And so, by the way, we're viewing this episode as a part one uh, because we're going to get Jesse Graham on here to um, to have to answer for his Weasley non endorsement of of normative implications. So the claim is is fundamentally we can organize all of human morality into a set of categories that don't collapse in on each other that stand alone. And that actually are uh, observable as meaningful categories of morality that differ across the world. So even though it's not a normative claim, it still requires some justification at the conceptual level. Like what makes a category a category of morality? Exactly. There are there's there's a big tradition of arguing that there are fundamentally different categories of morality that uh, that basically they're hard to see for people like us who are educated in this very liberal Western tradition that that we hang our morality so easily on issues of justice and fairness that it's it's hard for us uh, to see so so the monist view that there is all it all boils down fundamentally to um, to one broad principle like say the principle of harm or the principle of justice. If we if we were doing this before we we had done the quiz, right. we could probably isolate exactly one of the founda- what exactly. foundations they were testing to see that we shared. And the uh, general idea is that liberals only do only count two as moral, whereas the conservatives count all five or six now of these foundations as moral. So let's talk about the foundations. John Hyde originally, building on the work of Rick Schwader, who, was, uh, who is a cultural psychologist, but really from, from anthropology, <clears throat> and some of the other, other work on non-human primates and evolution, um, uh, posited that that look there are a bunch of different fundamental building blocks of morality that is these are foundations in the sense that most moral claims when you when you look across uh, uh, across the population of human beings most moral claims fall into one of these originally five categories 
So the first ones that are intuitive to probably most listener, listeners of our show are is the one of harm and care. Um, so things, so so we ought not harm people who um, all things being equal, all things being equal, right? Because it's obvious that if it's in self defense or if somebody's blameworthy, or you can punish them. Lakers fan, or they're racist Celtics fans. Um, and the you want to qualify that? <laughs> no, no, no. You guys are just racist. The metaphor that Height and and Jesse in this paper uses that um, these five these five foundations. Which what two, five? You have you've, you've yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Probably. So care and harm, fairness, and cheating. That's the second foundation. So that's all also very intuitive to our hardcore liberal listeners. Uh, you know, it's those wrong. two kind of correspond with Kantianism and utilitarianism for you, right? And justice and all those things, right? So, so, and, and in fact, it's not just liberal. Like everybody endorses these as moral foundations, right? Everybody thinks that these are that these are important to morality. Exactly, that's the thing that these are important to morality, right? And when so, you're like teaching your kids how to act, these are considerations that they should always take into account, right? So the right person takes these considerations into account the wrong person doesn't uh the good person and so everybody seems to endorse these the difference comes from these other three right so the next one is loyalty so group loyalty what you see is that that across the world most people endorse this view that you should be loyal to your group you should favor your group in some way in some ways you know we've often endorsed this that that it's there's nothing wrong with being partial to your friends or people you have have commitments to we like i mean this is where we were probably most strongly conservative according to the the survey we both just emphatically agreed with the idea that it's it's fine that the world contains different groups right and borders and all that and we had no problem with that right yeah so uh okay so that's the third one The, the fourth one authority that you should respect authority that it's a that it's a a moral value to to pay attention to the hierarchy and to respect those above you. The way that I, I love this is kind of captured in this question uh, in some of Jonathan Haidt's work where they ask, imagine that you were in a school play with your father and what was required was that you slap him in the face. Right? Uh, and so he's, he's okay with it. He agrees with it. Turns out that, that in fact, everyone, every time I ever ask my class, everybody's fine with this. I actually think that even if my father agreed, I would find it so disrespectful that, like, even if he agreed, I would find it just aversive, disrespectful. You brought this up a number of times on the podcast. I I just think you have some fucked up thing with your father. Like, I don't know know, what it is. That's what. That's exactly what liberal white people who are Jews from the East Coast would think. (laughs) (laughs) So you're you're proving my point. By the way, we need to talk about Woody Allen at some point. There's a great uh, Onion article where it's supposedly written by Woody Allen. Uh, I've put you in a tough spot, haven't I? <laughs> right, right. He's like the Kobe of Jews. Uh, okay, and then the final one is sanctity and purity. Right. So, so the belief that some things are wrong because they are uh, because they they somehow actions that are impure you're treating your body poorly sanctity is in it's a divine command that with no obvious link to to harm to another human being uh so things like dietary restrictions mandrake have you never wondered why i drink only distilled water or rainwater and only pure grain alcohol 
Well, it, it, it did occur to me, Jack, yes. I was raised in a religion where it's very important to that you don't smoke and you don't drink because your body is the temple of God. Fortunately, and, I can I can witness right now. We're doing this on FaceTime. Uh, you didn't adhere to the don't drink one. That's that's grape juice. <laughs> that's Jesus juice. <laughs> um, so okay. So these so these were sort of a priori derived as potential foundations by by sort of looking at the literature in anthropology and primatology, cross cultural psychology, developmental psychology as things that would sort of putatively qualify as moral claims. Um, as moral foundations. And uh, John Hyatt and Jesse Graham and all of their collaborators have collected data across the world, essentially just asking people straightforwardly, do you think that it's important for morality to respect authority or for group for group concerns? And sure enough, you get this difference that across the world, more people endorse all five of these. Um, and even across the world, you look, conservatives are more likely to endorse them than liberals. But the political thing, we, we should, you know, it's only one small little part uh, of, of this whole thing. And I one that more, I, I regret, yeah. I get that it's the sexy topic, yeah. but I, I, I regret that it's become like the focal point of this debate. I mean, I, I think it's a very interesting part of the debate, but I regret that it's become all anybody talks about. All right, so here's my problem. I'm not sure what qualifies as evidence that something is a moral foundation. So I'll just say one, so I'm just going to use one example. So the one example is the the group stuff that that we should that we should be loyal to our group. I get what that claim is. But so say social psychologists have been studying group processes for quite some time. Right, so we know that people tend to favor their own groups. We know that people tend to they treat people from their out group worse. But social psychologists have been studying it for a long time because this is like a seems to be a natural human tendency that's evident from very early on, and that causes quite a bit of harm for all the good that it causes, for all the good that it brings for members of a group. It it does really shitty things to out group members. So we know that this is a psychological process. There's no doubt about that. Why call it a moral foundation? I, I think they, they handle this objection. And I, and I just pulled this up on the paper. Turio's moral conventional distinction prefigures one of the most common responses to MFT. Two foundations, care and fairness, are legitimately moral, holding for all times and places, while the other three are merely conventional. This critique was echoed by Jost... Uh, who raised the normative question that, or objection that calling loyalty, authority, and sanctity, quote, moral, could legitimize anything from jingoism to blind obedience to prejudice and racism. Jost's objection uh, raises a valid critique of some of our writings that blurred the line between the descriptive and the normative and highlights the importance of carefully distinct- distinguishing the two. Right. Like, I mean, you don't want someone to say, like, dude, don't blame me for, like, killing, you know, killing the, the blacks and the Jews. I'm upholding a moral foundation. Yeah, but that's not right. This is why it's really important. This is why we have to talk about this. And I think we got to talk about it with Jesse. We have to talk about what the criteria for a foundation are. Right. Because that's the, that's the key question. Well, one thing I want to say about that, because 
reading ahead into this is that one of their criteria is that it's culturally widespread. It can't just be that some culture, like in the middle of uh, the South Pacific, has, you know, a deep moral foundation that you should do somersaults into the ocean five times or else you... you, Right, so even if they jumped up and down and said, no, this is moral, much like the, the requirement to not murder... I would have no problem saying, well, wow, that's interesting how wrong you are about what morality is, right? Um, but once it's widespread and culturally widespread and it seems to be moralized like all the other things are moralized, if you still want to call it conventional and not moral, then it seems like you're importing your own conceptual point of view. And I suppose, and this illustrates, this illustrates such a difficulty between, in moral psychology, between to really, really trying to tease the descriptive and the normative apart. And, and to my knowledge, nobody's really been able to do it well. But it like, just because, seems like you can do that. The way to do that is the way they are doing that, by setting your criteria of what counts as moral from the outset. And if we can agree about that, then you see what the data shows. I guess, but there is this fear that, and here's where another distinction has to be made, because it really isn't just about normative versus descriptive. It is also about the conceptual, the conceptual work versus the descriptive work. So I want to be able to say that conceptual um, is descriptive. No, 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 no. Like if if everybody said that 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 they knew three bachelors who were married, we would say you're wrong. Like that's the dif- distinction I'm making here. It's clear that they're wrong. Like the descriptive facts. Th- so suppose that that it was the case that a bunch of people believed that slavery was right. Right now, suppose. the question is, right? So people have. So now the question is, all right, um, people are making this distinction between themselves and the outgroup, right? The white people think that they, that black people are, are, are whatever, for whatever reason, they're willing to favor their own group to the extent that they're willing to put, put others into slavery. So now you have the one question where you say, all right, should I take seriously their claim that it's moral, even though I have a normative disagreement, set that aside. Now, even if you accept that, that uh, people might be normatively wrong, but they're nonetheless making this claim about morality. There are some cases where you would want to say they're wrong in a different way. They're wrong just about that being morality. So your somersault example is a good one. Like they're just, they're, uh, they're mistaken about what we mean by morality, right? There's just a way in which here's how I'm carving. I've given this example before, I think, but suppose that somebody tells me, I want to study emotions. I say, oh, cool. What emotion do you want to study? And they tell me, I want to study that feeling of how your hair grows. I'm like, well, buddy, you got it wrong about emotions. Like, it's just, that's not what emotions are. That's not what we mean by emotions. And he's like, no, no, I I find that there is a specific feeling to having to, to my hair growing. And then he goes and pulls like and but he again, finds that like 10 people is... agree with him that there is a feeling to the hair growing. And I'm like, well, you guys are just, wrong it's not an so you're a platonist thing. about concepts is what you're saying it doesn't boil no, down to no. how many I like a- how like what's the agreed upon usage over universally or if not universally in a widespread manner i'm not being a platonist by saying that we should that there there is a concept that should be preserved because 
for whatever reason, even at a most pragmatic level, what we mean by cars isn't things that fly like or whatever. Like, but what's the argument for doing that about morality, about moral concepts? So let's just say that you're the hardcore liberal that thinks care and harm are the only things that count as moral. And it just turns out that 95% of the world disagrees with you. We're still talking descriptively, not morally. And you want to insist? It's sort of easy to jump to the 95%. Let's use an example, right? So Richard Schwader, on on whom theories Jonathan Haidt built a lot of the moral foundation stuff, uh, you know, he has this wonderful paper. Richard Schwader goes to India and he actually bothers to ask people in these small villages in India and in big cities and in Chicago and in the U.S. and smaller communities in the U.S. And he does a real cross-cultural investigation of morality. And it turns out that people in these small rural villages in India... Uh, have what appear to be very, very odd beliefs uh, for us, right? So he does a chart of things we all agree on, things that Indians believe are wrong and that we believe are okay, and things that we believe are wrong and they believe are okay. And so when you look, there there are things like uh, it's wrong to cut your hair the day after your father died. So we say, well, that's crazy, right? On the face of it, that's crazy. And so John Hyde says, well, look, that's this purity belief that they believe that they that they are offending, you know, the spirits or whatever or whatever. But the that's story an empirical. Is. That's an empirical thing. That's an it's an empirical observation that they actually believe that this is wrong. But right. no, no, so no, now, no, no. The point is the disagreement there. If that's true, that the only reason that they believe that is because of the spirits, they believe well, that there are these spirits that will punish them. Well, that's an. Em- that's well, not see, that's moral. actually what's not that's that's actually what seems to, to be underspecified in the Schrader paper, right? So the so on the face of it, it seems so obviously this has nothing to do with harm that this is in the purity domain for for John Hyde. But if you bother to ask deeply and probe deeply, and they give you a justification, they say, well, actually, we think that we're offending the spirits of our ancestors by doing this, and they give you this story about, like, you know, back in the day, like, somebody actually did this, and it was really harmful, and so now the spirits really wish that you didn't do it. And now, so now what do you say? Do you say, well, eh, that's actually, it does boil down to harm. Or... As John Hyatt, Jesse Graham, and others can say, they can say, well, no, this is just a post hoc justification. This is just we're pushing them to give this reason. And so under what conditions do you accept that the justification says that that it's actually about harm? Yeah, no, that I mean, this relates exactly to what I was saying at the beginning of the episode about or in the beginning of the segment about the same sex marriage, certain empirical facts can start to matter or not matter depending on what your initial moral attitude or belief is. Right, yeah. And it's so hard to get the real answer about what the psychological process that gives rise to this moral belief actually is. Because what I'm tempted to say is clearly... The f- the existence of these spirits isn't a moral fact, and so it's n- it's a non-moral disagreement. Although but, I feel like in the, in the purity domain, you could justify almost anything. Like if Yahweh didn't exist, we could eat pork. Well, that's the thing, is that if the moral beliefs are prior to the religious beliefs, and the religious beliefs are justifications of the moral beliefs, then even what looks like empirical disagreement could be moral disagreement. In the same way that what looks like moral disagreement could be empirical disagreement, like with, say, the abortion 
case example that we use what looks right. like more uh empirical disagreement could be moral disagreement uh ultimately and so, so this is a very complicated question well and so here's what i think we need to do i think we need to there's no way we're going to resolve it now so we need to get jesse no, we graham we, <laughs> we need to get jesse graham and i think we need to look at the methods that have been used to establish these moral foundations because it's not all just simply asking people about the foundations and in this paper um, that we read, Jesse and and others, re- really review the evidence. He's already agreed to be on next time. Yeah, we're going to have Jesse Graham on next. No drinking for Jesse. No drinking for Jesse. I'll try to be a little more sober, and I won't be as pissed off about my injury. And and, and last thing, less. rate us on iTunes, donate, and, and Amazon. You know, I bought my freaking wife, my, my own wife. Oh, God, my, my parents are... I, I, my parents. <laughs> it's my <laughs> wife and daughter. Uh, Uh, I bought my own wife an iPad and I forgot to go to our own site so I know how hard it is to remember to do that so figure out a way like shock yourself iTunes Amazon donate thank you we love our listeners my daughter (laughs) is home email us and tweet us uh, uh, we're done don't do drugs